This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson, and today's episode is about alcohol and sex life changes with Sarah Rusbatch, Grey Area Drinking Coach. Welcome, Sarah, back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me back. Sarah is a certified women's health and well-being coach, an accredited grey area drinking coach, a keynote speaker who shares her journey to sobriety and the impact of alcohol on mental health to global audiences. She's also the face behind Perth's growing alcohol-free movement. And Sarah, off air, you were just sharing with me this such exciting news about your new book. Yes, I'm in the thick of it now, Amanda, writing it. Um, but that will, fingers crossed, be coming out sort of January, February next year. Fantastic. January, February 2024, we'll have a book and people can really steep themselves in all the material information, wisdom that you provide. And that's going to be so exciting. And we've done a couple of other podcasts on this show. Um, we did one on grey area drinking and alcohol and menopause, and they were so well received that we we chatted and, and thought this area really needs to be discussed as well about alcohol and sex life changes. Um, and I think you're going to be providing a lot of information that will surprise a lot of people. Yeah, I'm sure I will, because I think it's there's so many different facets when we make the decision to remove alcohol from our life that so many things change that yeah. you just wouldn't have even considered that that might be part of it. And so I'm so passionate about talking openly about all of these these different things that happen so that people can be well equipped, they know what to expect, and they've got tools and resources to, to support them if they decide to, to quit drinking or to make changes to the amount that they're drinking. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's so pervasive in our society, um, especially in Sydney, where I am. It's it's everywhere, I think. Um, and, you know, I was I was talking to the Cancer Council the other day, and and, like, they've got research that shows the specific, you know, industry marketing by alcohol companies to middle-aged women and that correlates with the fact that middle-aged women are um, drinking at levels like up to 80 percent more than we were a decade ago wow and so it's it's interesting to consider that there is such of course marketing works and particularly <laughs> when you're a big beast like big alcohol yeah. Al you know marketing really works when you can put the money behind it and you deliberately know who you're targeting and that subliminal messaging that you're getting all the time oh I need wine to unwind I need to relax I, I deserve it at the end of the day and all of these messages that start coming um, and when you're stressed anxious overwhelmed and all of those things mm -hmm. that most middle-aged women are alcohol feels like a really quick fix and quick solution to to put a handbrake on those feelings of overwhelm and stress but the problem is it's not a great long-term solution no and we will talk about younger women as well but I guess by the time you're a middle-aged woman your your marriage is probably turned a bit blah kids are starting to leave home or not be that interested in you a career might be a bit blah or there may be a lack of career do you think those are some of the reasons when middle-aged women also are using alcohol as well as the marketing absolutely They're, like the women that I work with they're unfulfilled they're disillusioned they are bored like yeah. they're busy but they're bored do yeah. you know what I mean you can yeah. be both you can feel like you don't have a moment to yourself yeah. but everything that you're spending your time doing is the monotony and the humdrum of 
of a mum and a wife and a woman who works and then managing the home and you're just doing all these things all the time but none of them light you up none of them fulfill you none mm. of them give you meaning or purpose and so you're you're resentful um maybe a bit disappointed frustrated disillusioned and they're not really very pleasant emotions to sit with and so we drink yeah and and then the sexual disappointment disillusionment at that stage of life that is common I think isn't it yeah and I think that is something that is impacted by a few different things we know that perimenopause and starting to go through perimenopause and the change in hormones not only means that our libido drops but we can experience vaginal dryness which Mm. means that sex just isn't pleasant it's not it it can be painful um we may be starting to feel quite disconnected to our partner and Mm. we know that sex isn't just what happens in bed Mm. like foreplay of sex starts with being kind to each other feeling Mm. seen and heard by the other one communicating how well you're getting on feeling like you like them whereas if all the time you're just feeling pissed off and resentful going oh my goodness you said you're going to take the bins out and you haven't and that's (laughs) the only conversation that you're having then of course you don't feel like jumping into bed and having sex with them that night when generally the only kind of conversation you've had has been the logistics of who's taking the kids to swimming who's putting the bins out who's stopping at the supermarket on the way home to buy dinner yeah. And so all of this is interlinked. Yeah, and men checking out as well with alcohol um, and sort of, um, I say checking out, I mean checking out of the relationship with with alcohol um, and becoming un, less attractive because in a lot of cases, I guess women do continue to look after themselves and men often let themselves go. Yeah, that can be the case for sure. And also um, men's sex drive massively drops um, Mm. when they get to this age, but also if they're also drinking a lot, not looking after themselves health-wise, then there's fluctuating testosterone um, and all the hormones are changing, then of course that's going to also play an impact on um, a male sex drive as well. And does alcohol change the libido itself? I think it depends on the person, but yes, I think studies have shown um that if you're drinking consistently and regularly um not only does that have an impact for the younger people on your fertility um and the health of your sperm um but also on your sexual desire and and how much you want to have sex Mm, because I think a lot of people would think that they're more interested in sex when they drink but surely in the longer term as you say they're going to be less interested in sex if they're relying on alcohol um, because it's it's bound to have a hormonal effect. But do you think, do you hear people using alcohol to have sex, particularly when they're no longer really attracted to their partner and their partner's got a higher libido than them, say? Oh, gosh, all the time. Mm. I've got clients who, when they get sober, the thing that worries them the most is having sex with their partner sober because they actually haven't had sober sex. Oh, at, if if at all, but for a good few years, because alcohol it raises it lowers your inhibitions, so you mm. feel a little bit more relaxed. You feel calmer. You might feel a bit more confident um, with what you how you would come across when you're when you're having sex. And so, for lots of my clients, they actually feel very awkward when they consider sober sex because it's just not something that is featured in their marriage at all oh my goodness so some of those people might have dated with alcohol being a feature main feature and so they've really as you say never had sex without alcohol and then they might reach a point in their lives when they 
become sober and yes, it's the first time ever that they've meet this person they've been married to for so long sexually and sober. Yeah, it, it can. And, and, and I think the problems come when if the man is still drinking and the woman isn't because you definitely feel like you're on a bit of a different yeah. wavelength when your partner's pissed and you're not. Yeah. And it definitely, and perhaps that would be hard. And so I do always say to my clients, it's really best to go slow. I mean, obviously I'm not a set therapist, but from, mm. from everything that I've, my own experience, but also from that of my clients and having interviewed some sex therapists on this topic, it's really important that the first few times you try and make sure you're both on the same wavelength and that he's not drinking. Um, and that you start with, you've got to start with what's happening in your relationship outside of the bedroom. So yeah. it's got to start with what's your communication like? What's your, um, how do you have like a ritual of connection? Do mm. you actually have time that you spend together where you feel seen, heard, understood and cared for by the other person? Mm. Or are you literally in a functional relationship, which most of the communication is about the logistics of managing your home and you're not really doing anything else together um, outside of that? And that's where alcohol comes in, Amanda, because for so many of my clients, they actually don't do anything with their husbands apart from drink. Oh. So it might be, you know, like that's what they do together when they go out on a Saturday night. That's what they do together on a Sunday afternoon. That's the, that's how they bond and that's how mm. they connect. So if one of them removes alcohol or they both do, then you lose that ritual of connection. But it's mm. so important that you find another way, something else that replaces alcohol so that you're still having that that time to bond with each other outside of just what's happening in the bedroom mm, and I think it's really important to your earlier point that couples do this together because hey it's easier and also it's going to only enhance the relationship as a bonding episode um, process and and there's that irritation that we see in people when they're weaning off any addiction that the irritation, if it's shared, then they're realizing I'm not just irritated with my partner, but it's withdrawals that I'm going through as well. Because I think a lot of people misunderstand that maybe now without alcohol, I'm married to the wrong person. But in fact, they may not be. It's because we change as we go along, even putting alcohol and other addictions aside, you know, people change in a long-term relationship and often feel it's the wrong person when it's just time for change again. Absolutely. And that's what I always say to my clients is like I've had and my own experience as well. I remember in my early sobriety phoning up a friend and just like in tears and just saying, I don't think my husband's called Angus. I don't think Angus and I are going to make it. Like I feel mm. like I'm just on this path of growth and self-discovery and I'm doing all these new things and he's still where he was. Mm. And how are we going to make this work when we the thing that used to bring us together was was alcohol mm. but I'm so glad I didn't act on that because it did change and he mm. did catch up and and, mm. and 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 these changes did start to happen in the relationship but they don't happen overnight and no. and I always say just don't act impulsively like yes that I've seen many couples split up where one or both of them has removed alcohol because fundamentally they just weren't meant to be together anymore mm. whereas for others it, it takes work because marriage does take work. And just at the first sign of discontentment, it doesn't mean we have to walk. 
Absolutely. That's the thing about long-term relationships is ebb and flow. No matter what's going on, there's always going to be ebb and flow. It's never all good. People are never always in love in long-term relationships. They have to learn to move in and out and back into love. Um, so again, our use of alcohol to medicate social anxiety, which I think is is not just in older people, but you know we see a lot of that in younger people, and it makes them more at risk of being taken advantage of sexually, of course, which is awful. Um, yeah. And and that's a it's a tricky relationship that a lot of younger people seem to have, where they they're so anxious socially these days that alcohol, as you said before, is it's such a quick fix that they use to medicate often for these yeah. social situations. There's a really good book that I read that was talking, um, it's an American-based book, and it was talking about the number of sexual assaults that happened at universities um, on campus around America. And it was over 90% that occurred when one or both parties were um, drunk. So, wow. um, yeah. So the, the statistics were extraordinarily high. Yeah. Um, and so as well, it's about remembering, because the, the problem we've got is particularly for, for, for young women, girls, you know, in teenage years, early 20s, the alcohol industry made this deliberate decision to start targeting younger women, um, kind of early 2000s, I think it was. And the drinks that are being sold to younger women are very, very different to the drinks that are being sold to men. And girls are kind of, I was doing this you know I was like proud of myself I could match the boys drink for drink but the boys would be having a beer that was four percent alcohol whereas the girls are having a cocktail a cocktail like a Long Island iced tea that might have three or four shots in that yeah. is like 35 percent alcohol in each and yeah. so it's not an equal playing field and also we know that girls the female physiology processes alcohol in a completely different way to men so we become more more drunk and then the other thing that we have to remember is for girls, depending on where you are in your cycle, when your estrogen mm. is higher, yep. you feel the intoxicating effects of alcohol more. Mm. But when when do you ever know? Like, do we track our cycles enough? Can we do? We don't do a blood test every week to go. Oh, my estrogen's high. I mustn't drink as much tonight because <laughs> I'm going to get really, really drunk. No one does that. No. So it's like this game of Russian roulette. You never know. Am I going to black out and get really drunk tonight, or am I going to be okay on the uh. same amount of alcohol? Ooh. And so there is definitely. It's just education. Like in my view, it's education that is the most important thing that's needed so that we can make informed decisions. Yeah. And look how many young people know how sinister the marketing is of these large companies and, and how many remember that dehydration, stress, lack of sleep and food, which is a common phenomenon in young people, will make you more drunk more quickly. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, I was in a shop the other day that was selling had a big section of alcohol-free wines and beers mm. and then there was a drink that was um, because what the alcohol companies have caught on to is the fact that most women um they don't want to drink the alcohol for the calories yes because they don't because they know that they put on weight because there can be up to 69 grams of sugar in one bottle of wine mm. so they've started creating drinks that are sugar-free, but still highly alcoholic. And they're targeting these at the health conscious young women. So vodka and soda, so there's no calories um, and you're still able to get drunk. But these sugar-free alcoholic drinks 
were put in the alcohol free aisle of the supermarket in in the section that said alcohol free because someone obviously just didn't really get alcohol free sugar free whatever it's it's, there's something missing in this drink and they'd lump them all together and one of the ladies in my group even said that she'd bought a bottle of wine out of that section and got it home but it wasn't um low alcohol it was low sugar and it was still 14 percent alcohol and so we've still got a long way to go with regulating this kind of information as well we do and as you say educating so uh, yeah look if if women and men were to reduce alcohol even they're going to have more control over date rape um 90 percent of it's about having consumed alcohol that's shocking that statistic yeah yeah but it makes sense right if you think about university campus um you know that's kind of what students do right (laughs) is um is drink it's so popular and you lose so much control um quite often even just with one glass if you're in that category as you say of you know not wanting to consume the calories and perhaps stressed with university life as well exams and high performance so yeah and we know that when we drink alcohol the prefrontal cortex part of the brain where we make those rational decisions it it starts to numb and kind of almost shut down and so we're losing our ability to make rational decisions which is why people say and do ridiculous things when they're drunk that they would never do if they're sober but that includes making decisions that might be unsafe you know do I get in that car with that guy I know he's not really a taxi driver but I want to get home and so I'm and he said he'll take me home like you would never do that sober but when you're like I've done it like you know and and you just think the, the danger that we can put ourselves in because of the decisions that we make when we're under the influence of alcohol. Mm, it's such a slippery slope and it can end so awfully in the flash of a moment with lifelong regret. Totally, yeah. So what are the top three results you find from reducing or quitting alcohol? In terms of kind of relationships. And, yeah. 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 So I think that the first stage is always remembering it's going to be clunky it's going to be quite awkward and the most important thing that I say to my clients is keep some kind of ritual of connection so if so for example with my husband he used to come home from work I would wait for him to come home and this the signal was when he was home it was time to crack open wine he would walk in go to the beer fridge and get some beer we'd go and sit outside together we I'd have my wine he'd have his beer we'd chat and connect how was your day chat about the day and then we'd go about our evening duties of sorting the kids out homework dinner bath and all the rest of it Mm. and that was so when we stopped drinking we stopped doing that yep and then without realizing how important that ritual had been just in terms of communication we just started getting further and further and further apart where the only conversations were logistical and not coming from an emotional place um and so we it was so important to us to start adding in the things that we did so quite often now when he comes home from work we grab the dog and we go and walk around the block and mm. it might literally be five minutes but it's just a way of going you're important mm. I see you let's let's talk about the day and by giving each other that time and space mm. the message that that gives is I I, I want to know about your day I, I want to spend that time with you so it can be something as simple as that I've got clients for whom it's they go outside they have an alcohol-free drink mm. together I've got some they you know he phones when he's five minutes away she puts the kettle on and when he gets in they have a cup of tea together like it, it can be anything but it's just important to keep that ritual of connection because anything 
that's to do with our sex life and our relationship has to begin with how we're communicating. Yeah. And when we're drinking, we forget that that's a, a segue to us communicating. So when we remove the alcohol, we've got to make sure that we prioritize um, that. The second thing is always to check in with your partner and ask them, how is it for you that I'm not drinking? Oh, yes. Because a lot of my clients don't do that. And they they sit there and go, oh, I'm really you know, peed off. He's not asking me questions. He seems withdrawn. He just seems grumpy. And they don't really take on board and recognize the fact that this is a huge change for him. And in many ways, he might be feeling quite threatened and quite fearful of the changes that you're starting to make in your life and where that's going to leave you. So I had mm. one client, when she said to him, I said to him, I said to her, go and ask him when you next go for a walk together, how is it for you, me not drinking? So she did that. And he said to her, I'm really scared that you're going to keep doing this work on yourself and then you're going to realise that I'm not enough for you. Yes. And But but giving him that space to say that mm. meant that they could talk about it. Whereas if we just don't even acknowledge that for our partners, it's a big change when we're making a change to our drinking. Um, we If we keep that conversation going, <clears throat> it ensures that we, we stay on track. And then the third thing when it comes to sex is once we can get over the the awkwardness or perhaps feeling a little bit uncomfortable if we're not used to to doing it sober is, you know, go slow, communicate, set the scene, prioritize it, because for so often we wait until we're in the mood. But when you're busy and you've got loads going on, quite often, you know, that that doesn't happen. And so prioritize that time together. Um, and for most of my clients, they will say that you know, alcohol is a depressant, so it numbs you. Yeah. So um, it can even prevent you from having orgasms. It can prevent yeah. you from really, you know, getting the joy and benefit that, that we all experience from sex. And nearly all of my clients say once they get over the hurdle of just feeling a little bit awkward, the sex is actually so much better. Oh, absolutely. And as you said earlier, the intimacy factor um, uh, predicts the sexual intercourse. So being understood, women need that. Um, men obviously need sex to feel understood and loved. Women need to be understood and loved to feel they want sex. So while we're a bit opposite, there's a meeting in the middle and so important. And I'm sure I've asked you this before, but what is it that makes you psyched for life? It's the passion that I have for going and continuing to support thousands of women across the world with the message that you don't have to be an alcoholic to decide to quit drinking. You can make a decision at any point in your life that you want to see what life is like without alcohol and then give it a go. And the fact that I get to support thousands of women day in, day out, just really gets me psyched for life. Fantastic. And your Rediscovering Me is your signature eight-week group. And I'm sure that's going really well. Yeah, so I run alcohol-free challenges four times a year. Um, so the next one will be in July where women can come and join a group of like-minded women, take a month off booze, get all of the support from me um, in doing that. And then after that, if they decided I want to keep going and I want to see what my life is really like without alcohol, then I have a program called Rediscovering Me, which is all about, well, who the hell am I if I don't drink alcohol anymore? Because for most of my women, it's been part of their identity for so long. You yeah. know, I was like, I'm Sarah the party girl. That's who I am. So who the hell am I if I'm not that person mm -hmm. anymore? So it's an eight-week gentle probing 
and discovery of, of who we are at this stage in our lives. Brilliant. And if they want to find you, it's at www.sarahrustbatch.com. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. You've been wonderful to chat with it as always. Thanks so much for having me. Keep an eye out for Sarah's new book being released in early 2024 on why women drink and how to break the cycle, being published by Murdoch Books in Australia and Britain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. Plus, don't forget you can access all of the resources mentioned in today's podcast via the show notes. Is there a pressing issue or topic you'd like me to discuss? Head to my Instagram at dramandaferguson and send me a DM. I love hearing from my listeners. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 333 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.